Hey everyone, this is Cody from the podcast. We have a great interview with Quacking Tiger coming up shortly. But first, I wanted to give some shout outs to some of our other episodes that we've released recently. And the first is our award show, we now called The Watsons, uh, formerly The Podcasties. But that's our regular season awards where we recap the season, give out awards to outstanding players, coaches, and so on. Check, check that out. Second, Sam, our new co-host, he's joining us, giving uh, more in-depth basketball coverage. He, he released an episode recently where he talks hoops. We have another one coming up sometime uh, around the new year. So stay tuned for that. And then last, Tully interviewed Bama Dozer for a second time. Uh, if you don't know who Bama Dozer is, he is a hardcore Alabama fan. He was interviewed last year before the national championship game. Talks a lot of trash. Don't take it too seriously. It's it's mostly all in good fun. It's mostly a joke, but uh, just really funny. Uh, he's gonna he, totally is gonna release the recording from the national championship recap from last year, as well as preview the upcoming game this year. So stay tuned for that. And with that, enjoy the interview and go Tigers. to the Clemson Podcast. This is Cody. I'm joined by Quacking Tiger from ShakingTheSouthland.com to recap National Signing Day Part 1. Um, another very talented and uh, exciting class for Clemson. Uh, so QT, just to start off, the early signing period, this is different. So could you just like tell us what that means for Clemson uh, specifically, but also just any general things about this early signing period, implications, etc.? Absolutely. Thanks for uh, for having me on. Uh, always good to uh, talk after you land a Jackson Carmen uh, rather than the alternative. Um, yeah, so signing day really changed things. Um, and I think it had more impact than people um, were expecting uh, when they first made made the change. So basically, we, we changed signing day from February to the 20th. I mean, signing day is... is effectively what what just happened and now we're having you know just like an addendum right where the the best players or those who didn't get to sign uh this this last time because their school didn't want them to sign or there's you know academic issues or things like that they will sign them or not sign them on uh on february 7th but real the real signing day 
just happened. Most classes are, are pretty much full. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this, this impacts things moving forward. Um, I think Georgia uh, really made great use of the, uh, of the signing period, for example, by getting their you know, core recruits that they wanted to, to land um, on that very last weekend. I think that very last weekend is going to become, for official visits, is going to become even more important because you can get some guys on campus and get that kind of emotional push. Uh, and get them to sign on, uh, you know, because it's the next Wednesday or the next, you know, during that next week. So I, I do think that that played a role in uh, in the Cade Mays signing to Georgia over Clemson. Um, if there was another two weeks, for example, after that official visit, I think that recruitment could have gone, uh, you know, back, swung back, the pendulum could have swung back towards Clemson. But you really only have a couple of days there after you know, you, you leave campus on Sunday, you have Monday and Tuesday, and then you're already needing to kind of sign papers and tell schools where you're going before you go on the, on, you go and sign on that Wednesday. So there really isn't a lot of time and you have some recency bias. So I do, I do think an impact of this is going to be that, uh, that, that last official visit weekend is going to become more important. You're going to have to think strategically about when and how you use official visits and, uh, the last, you know, kind of head coach visit. Um, you know, I think Clemson did everything right with, with Mays based on where they had their um, official visit. Um, but, you know, that official visit is going to become more important. Um, I, you know, I think uh, there'll be a debate about whether or not to move the signing period even earlier. Um, I'm, I'm with Dabo Sweeney that I think that a August signing period uh, would be better for the, for the coaches and for the, the, uh, the players. Because then you would have kind of this, this early period um, and everybody could sign who wanted to sign, but it wasn't moving signing day essentially to the 20th. Uh, so that'll be an interesting debate uh, that I, I hope will go on, um, moving the signing period even earlier uh, so that the kids who are, you know, like Clemson, like Trevor Lawrence, who are already, you know, a year committed, will just sign that at that point, And then everybody else will wait until, until February rather than forcing kids to basically sign or lose their scholarship. Cause that, that's what was happening in the, uh, with the 20th date right now. It was like tons of leverage for coaches to be like, well, if you're not going to sign right now, then, then uh, we're going to go and get, you know, X, Y, or Z person. So in some ways it helps uh, the players. Uh, but in a lot of ways, this was really kind of, I think planted toward the 20th date. It's slanted towards coaches and giving them more leverage. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, Full disclosure here, I, I didn't even fully realize this was going to be that the December 20th signing day would actually be the signing day. And that this is kind of an emergency podcast because of that. And I should mention, too, um, we're going to cover today half the half the, the recruiting class and then we'll we'll stack on the, the second half and a follow up in, in February. At that time, we can also recap uh, the the uh, the playoff, hopefully a national championship winner. And uh, but, yeah, going back to you, you mentioned Cade Mays and I always hate to talk about. When you have such a good class, I hate to talk about the guys that we missed on, but that is one of the more interesting, uh, more eventful recruitments um, because it, it seemed Cade Mays was a, a strong or a heavy Clemson lean at one point, and then it had kind of a Rashawn Gary uh, feel at the end where he he uh, he chose Georgia. Why, why did he choose Georgia? What happened? Uh, well, so you know he was longtime commitment to Tennessee. Uh, 
his his dad, you know, his ties to the program, uh, deep ties to the program. And so, I, you know, I think there's some strong SEC ties there, right? And he took his official visit to Clemson, loved the Clemson culture. Um, mom was definitely on board. Uh, but, but he went to Georgia, and Pittman did a great job of recruiting him uh, based on personality, I think, and based on kind of um, a kind of cultural fit. Uh, the offensive line class was all there for him to kind of connect with, and uh, uh, I, I think that was a really strong push to have Sawyer there, to have Hill there, to have the other guys that they have committed and some of the younger offensive linemen uh, there. And so, you know, he got to be there with with that class in Athens and with Pittman. And I think there was some recency bias um, with his kind of a, a bit of an emotion, not an emotional commitment, but but a connection to that visit that led into his, his ultimate decision there at the end. Um, and I think there was, too, a strong tie to the SEC. There's a strong tie to, you know, some of the, the pitches going on about, um, you know, putting players into the NFL. Uh, and, you know, we can argue with that uh, for, for Clemson, but there is kind of this um, feeling amongst coaches and others in the profession. And, and of course, Cade May's dad is very connected to that, uh, that, that group in that area that a pro-style offense is still better for offensive linemen and for placing offensive linemen in the, in the NFL, although I would argue that, of course, the NFL is changing and that may not be uh, very true uh, in you know three years from now, especially as, as more NFL offenses incorporate spread concepts. So, you know, that's all debatable, but um, I think those are some of the factors that went into flipping this thing. Right. It's, it seems like that SEC and, you know, we, we understand the South. If you went to Clemson, you understand it. And there's a big like plan in that SEC bubble does have its allure. Um, but, you know, Clemson is, you know, we, we get some big matchups every year, but I guess it's not quite the same as, as a Southern team on your schedule every week. Um, but yeah, moving on to a guy that we did land and, and along with Jackson Carmen, who was, it was getting that was just the best early Christmas surprise ever. Can you talk a little bit about like how bare the roster is from an offensive line standpoint, particularly the, the tackle position, because this is, this is absolutely crucial, a crucial commitment. Um, but yeah, you would you also just talk about his, his skill set and what he'll bring, how soon he'll bring it. Yeah. So offensive line is absolutely, I mean, especially if, if Mitch Hyatt leaves, then we, we really only have, uh, two offensive linemen in Pollard and Ankrum who have any kind of game experience, right? Because we've been using Hearn, who's going to go to the NFL as that kind of swing backup tackle. So we will have no one with real game experience. So, so the number one recruit on the offensive line, I think is Mitch Hyatt and, and trying to get him back. I mean, if he goes to the NFL, you know, of course we wish him all the best, but I greedy, you know, I'm greedy. I want another national championship uh, opportunity and Mitch Hyatt, uh, as the left tackle would be uh, you know, great for, for next year. So he's my number one recruit. Um, I think it'll be an interesting debate to talk about like Carmen versus Mays. And I don't know the answer to whether or not we would have landed Carmen if we had gotten Mays. So that's a that's an interesting debate um, that'll that'll continue. I mean, obviously, we I think we would have tried to, to grab both. But, you know, maybe that pitch to Carmen wouldn't have been as strong if he knew that, that Mays was committing. Maybe we don't. Um, try to, to get him on campus. Um, well, I mean, we would have all, already gotten him on campus, but that, that'll be an interesting 
debate to go go forward these two careers um, because we're going to watch both of them, I, I think, intensely and kind of um, weigh the pluses and minuses of, of both of them. But Jackson Carmen, uh, you know, about a I guess nine months ago or something about that time uh, Carmen visited and rated us as the, you know, his number one. Um, we were number one on his list. And so, you know, I absolutely fell in love with Jackson Carmen. I have been following him intently on Twitter on uh, every which way I could follow him uh, this entire year. And, and, you know, it was, it was soul crushing to kind of see him going back to uh, Ohio state. Right. He didn't come for the cookout. Um, it looked like it was kind of a done deal, uh, but he did take his official visit to Clemson. That put us, I think, back on squarely in the picture. There were questions, I think, from even coaching staff whether or not Clemson was really in this. Uh, I have watched his his social media profile, uh, and he's very much been about you know Southern California, U the real USC, uh, for a long time. So you know, I was I, I didn't think he was going to sign with Ohio State personally, but I I, I thought that. Uh, USC had every bit his opportunity more so than Clemson at the end. Um, but I think it really was that official visit. Um, his mom fell in love with the, uh, with the campus and, you know, he only visited campus twice. Right. And then there's this question that was asked, uh, Jeff Scott, I think said like, he couldn't think of another recruit. It was only Travis ETN that I can remember that only visited. He only visited campus once and then turned around and, and signed for Clemson. Um, so it's very rare that you get a guy on campus twice, only twice, very short visits and, and you land him, especially, a, you know, a five-star, uh, arguably the number one overall offensive tackle in the class. So Jackson Carmen is first and foremost, a very big, large man. He's a legit six, six. Um, he's 350 pounds right now. I mean, he is a big man and he can move. Um, that's, you know, his, his, Kind of top attribute, I think, is his ability to move that well for a man that's that size and 350 pounds. Um, so, you know, the upside is much higher than anybody else in this class because if you can get him down to 330, uh, 325 uh, at that size and with his ability to move, then, you know, that that's an NFL tackle. I mean, that's Orlando Pace right there. I mean, that that is that kind of level of, of talent. Um, so, so he moves really well, which fits the Clemson scheme, um, extremely well because we pull our tackle so much, uh, and he will, he, he moves in space really well. And not only does he move well in space, but he finishes well in space. Uh, that's something else that, uh, that Jordan McFadden, um, I think is one of his skills and why he could stick at tackle. He may move in to go, move back to guard. I know we're, uh, we'll talk about McFadden the next time, um, but that, that's the skill set that, that, uh, that McFadden has, but Carmen has it much better uh, because he can move and he can deliver that blow um, extremely uh, with, with a, a lot of power. And you can watch any number of YouTube clips where he's just destroying people at Fairfield and his Ohio State or uh, Ohio, <laughs> the state of Ohio uh, competition. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that's a good level of competition that he's going against over there, too. It's, not like he's just throwing around uh, garbage competition. And, uh, yeah, he's playing against quality competition. So his punch is really good. Um, if he gets his hands on you, it's, it's over. I mean, he's, he's going to push you down and pancake you, um, and he moves really well with his feet. Those are kind of his skills. I think 
he'll have an acclimation process uh, at, at college, like every lineman does in terms of, you know, technique and some of his steps and not getting crossed over and things like that. But he has the power. If he can get his weight down a little bit, get in the, in a, uh, get in the college weight room and, and with our, you know, uh, nutrition program now and our, our bench and everything like that, I think uh, training table that we'll be able to, to kind of help him really quickly to be able to see the field. He is going to need to see the field extremely fast. Um, he has the power. He has the, 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 the quickness. The other thing that I think that is underrated about him that people don't really know is he's extremely intelligent. He's a very smart uh, kid. He's a very cerebral kid. He has these really cool, interesting things that he does uh, off the field. He's a great cook. He plays the guitar. He's an artist. Very intellectual. He will not have a hard time, I think, learning the, uh, the college system. And and um, that's an underrated aspect for an alignment if they want to get on the field quickly. Uh, Mitch Hyatt was, you know, a very smart, intelligent player as well. And that helped him to get, get onto the field. Um, so, so Hyatt was the technician who may not have had the strength. Uh, Carmen's going to come in and have the strength and have the intelligence. He's just going to have to polish and refine his technique. That's a very exciting prospect, and I, it seems like sometimes you, you hear about Clemson and they stick with these, these five-star guys, these upside players, and they stay with them throughout the whole process, and you wonder why, and because you, you assume it's a foregone conclusion that the, a guy like Carmen will choose Ohio State, and, and you, see, you, see on, or you saw on National Signing Day why they, stuck, why they, why they went the distance with Carmen. Absolutely. The, the other thing I think that Clemson fans need to know is you know, Carmen is pretty outspoken, right? Um, and at some point during his career, he's probably going to tick people off. And they should just accept that, right? They should accept that Jackson Carmen is his own man. He's an individual. He's going to speak his mind from time to time. Just get used to it. Uh, did, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. I did see the Twitter exchange that he had with Herb Street. Like, he, he right. had a little, like, like uh, not a heated, but... Some, some, just a, an exchange with Herb Street and like of all people, one of the most like mellow announcers and personalities. Uh, but yeah, if, if that's the case, then so be it. As long as he, uh, you know, can lead us to a national championship, being our left tackle, that's, we're happy with it. You know, that's, there's nothing wrong with a, a offensive tackle. that has got some fire, you know, and, and uh, plays mean on the field. I know people are saying, uh, you know, of course, Cade Mays plays very mean, but Jackson Carmen also uh, has a mean streak. To him and uh, and he plays with with some fire. Uh, he's not afraid to uh, to deliver a blow and uh, and pancake a person or two on the field. And in fact, I think both of them will, will probably get a few personal fouls in their careers before it's all said and done, just because they play with so much uh, fire to their game. So be ready for that too. <laughs> we'll take it. So the the next guy is is a kind of under under the radar. A player out of Seneca, Braden Galloway. So talking tight ends, super athletic, a little bit of a Jordan Leggett, uh, kind of pass catching abilities or athleticism. Um, talk to us about, I think you, you mentioned that he's a huge, like a, a diamond in the rough, or I could, you could have been talking about another player there, but you did say he's got a, a tremendous amount of upside, um, hasn't played a lot of football, uh, primarily a basketball player. So what do you see for him? It, how raw is he and how long will it, what would that growth curve look like? Yeah, the Galloway is a guy to be excited about, I think. Um, yeah, those labels, diamond in the rough, um, you know, underrated. 
he's a basketball player that's turned into a football player, so he's still you know learning things on the football field. But uh, those who are close to Seneca know, and the Seneca football program there in, in Clemson know what kind of athlete they're getting and what kind of kind of athletic specimen. Like he is just as athletic um, in terms of kind of quality of athleticism as any tight end in the nation um, in this class. Like his athleticism would be would be top five um, at at that position. NC State tried to grab Galloway. Uh, early on in the process and kind of forced Clemson's hand um, because, you know, Clemson was evaluating all these, these national guys. Uh, Mustafa uh, was, was one, Muhammad uh, was one that they were looking at from Texas who ended up going to Michigan. Uh, but Galloway has that athletic ability uh, that you covet at, at a, a tight end. He, he's first and foremost, just a big guy. He's six foot six. Uh, he's going to get up. Uh, to 250, I think, pretty easily. He's probably about 230, 235 right now. Um, and and we don't know what we have exactly because his senior year was going really well. He played quarterback um, because he was just the best kind of athlete on the field for Seneca. Um, and he, he hurt his foot. Is one of those, uh, uh, you know, uh, fractures of your, your – it's the same injury that – that Kevin Durant had that Austin Bryant had. It's a really tricky injury because it, it, um, it fractures your uh, small uh, on your foot, the, the vertebrae there. I think the list Frank's injury. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, but um, it's, it's a very tricky injury to recover from. So, you know, he's had a bit of a process getting back and, and he'll um, he's enrolling early um, I believe. And so, uh, you know, don't expect fireworks from him right away. He's still going to be coming back from that injury. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. He's going to have to develop into a tight end um, because he was mainly used as a wide receiver and a quarterback here as, as a senior for uh, for Seneca. But he has all the, the skills and the tools that you're looking for. He can high point the ball. Um, he can box people out. Uh, he that As a wide receiver, he could do that. Um, and he's going to just, that's just, just going to be better as a tight end. He's going to be able to go down the seam and yeah, absolutely. The Jordan Leggett comparison I think is, is a, is a good one, but I think he's ahead of where Jordan Leggett was when Jordan Leggett started at Clemson. Jordan Leggett had to, you know, get out of being lazy Leggett and, uh, and add some weight as well. And I, I think, uh, Galloway's frame is going to be, just as, it's going to be even easier for him to, uh, to gain that weight. So there's a lot, I think, to be excited about with, with Galloway. He's, he's, a, he's a prospect with that, that will uh, people will look back and be like, where did you know Clemson get this guy, right? But, uh, but all the tools are there. And, uh, and I, I think um, you know, it's going to take some time for the tight end position because it's one of the hardest to master in terms of getting, you know, all the plays down and, and being able to, to process everything that happens on the field. So, you know, give Galloway maybe a redshirt year um, and another year, and, and then we'll see him, I think, as a, as a legit uh, target. But you're going to have Trevor Lawrence down the road, and you're going to want to have that pass-catching tight end option for him. So that's a perfect kind of fit for, for a quarterback like, like Trevor Lawrence. Um, to, we're going to need somebody who's who's that athletic pass catcher, and that's what Galloway brings, I think, to the tight end room immediately. Yeah, so uh, 
a thought I had and maybe a theme to this class is there's a few, um, and getting off track for a second, there's a few three-star players, or there's a lot of three-star players, I'll say, that seem to be more high upside or, or either the recruiting services just don't, <laughs> don't, don't give that four star for whatever reason. What, is there is there a reason behind that? Is that a is that Clemson pursuing more three stars that, that could potentially be? And, and I know it's just a case by case basis, but is that you're looking for glue guys or looking for high upside guys, or is it the recruiting services potentially just don't have quite the the coverage and the resources they once had, so they're just not properly evaluating certain recruits? Well, what's your what's your stance there? Yeah, Galloway is a perfect example because. He didn't play football for a long time, so people haven't been tracking him for a long time. He's a basketball player who then switches to football. So that doesn't lend to, you know, these guys get, uh, the recruiting services get people in camps as well as, you know, uh, colleges. They, they, it's the same kind of thing, right? They get them in camps for years and years, and they start to identify the, the, you know, the, the prospects that are coming out, who got off, offered early. They pay a lot of attention to that, right? And rightfully so. Um, but a guy like Galloway didn't go to those camps. Uh, he didn't go to camps as a junior or senior really either. That that exposure wasn't there. Started football late. He got injured in his senior year, right? And so he didn't put up these like major numbers that allowed, you know, the recruiting services to come and, and see him and to showcase. And so he didn't get asked to be in the All-Star Games. All-Star Games are another loser, by the way, uh, with the 20th signing period, uh, the, the date of the signing period, because they don't get the, the exposure, right? As many players kind of committing uh, during their their games, so he's not going to go to an all star game here to kind of boost his stock. Um, those are really important for for recruiting services that uh, don't get out to see guys as much as 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 possible. And you know, recruiting services t uh, in their defense have boards too, right? And they have regional analysts that are going out and trying to grab things, and they they come back to that that national board. Um, and it's hard to advocate for a player uh, if, if they're injured, right? And, and if they were seen once or twice, right, and the national guys don't get to come out to kind of label them the four-star the, or the, the, the five-star. So, so that's the defense that I would give to recruiting services is um, it, it can be hard when there's these kind of extenuating circumstances like an injury in your senior year, like not being a part of camps and things like that, um, that make it harder to, to evaluate them just based purely on potential right that makes sense I'll, I'll keep pushing this forward we have uh one of my favorite players and i guess kind of uh, i guess unheralded or uh, under the radar which in in most years a guy like kyler mcmichael would be one of clemson's best recruits and we'd all be gung-ho about him but he's kind of some of the luster is is or it's more on on some of the five-star players but kyler mcmichael looks great on film i think you mentioned he might be a top 50 player. He should be a top 50 player. Right now, he's just narrowly out of the top 50 um, by most services. Uh, tell me about McMichael. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be more succinct here as we move forward. Not one of my skills, right? <laughs> um, so Kyler McMichael is really important right now because they. I'm just writing this up uh, for an STS article. The corner position um, has almost no depth, right? Trap is going to transfer there's a question of whether Dawkins Jr. is a corner nickel safety, right? I mean, I, I don't, I'm hesitant to kind of put him in the contributing category, which means that we have a senior in Fields, a junior in Mullen, uh, a, uh, a sophomore in uh, in uh, AJ Terrell, and uh, 
and Leanthony Williams would be coming off of a redshirt year. So that's only four guys to play corner. And then you can throw in next year maybe Kayvon Wallace and Ray Ray McLeod in a pinch, but Wallace is becoming more secure at uh, at uh, safety. And Ray Ray, you know, hopefully he'll be back. Uh, but, you know, you don't really want to rely on Ray Ray to be your, your starting uh, corner. You, you, you maybe you want to use him in a pinch, right? Again, uh, uh, if somebody went down to injury. But four guys is not a lot. So this is a really important corner class for depth uh and uh moving forward i think you'll in this next signing period we need to sign two more dbs i think one specifically corner and another that could you know kind of be an do it all kind of guy and uh, maybe a safety but so mcmichael um is a uh running back for his high school he also plays defense as well um he is first and foremost a burner I mean, he's like top 10 in the country in speed at the opening. He, uh, I think he ranked in the top 10 in his 40 time. And he is physically put together. Like he is ready to step on the field, probably more so than any other recruit in this class. Uh, he'll be physically ready to go uh, for, for next year. So I, I think he will avoid a, uh, a red shirt. Um, so this is two years that we've gone into the state of Georgia. If you're looking for like positives to, against Georgia, uh, Kyler McMichael is definitely one of them. Uh, we won that battle against uh, Georgia and also against Auburn. Um, we we actually um, beat Auburn again because they were able to grab him and bring him uh, to campus for a visit. So that you know, there's some there's some drama there that I, lots of schools really wanted Kyler McMichael uh, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I absolutely believe that he's a top 50 player. Though the one I, I think. Thing that might hold Kyler back a little bit is there's questions about his you know footwork in technique backpedal and things like that um, for the corner position like I think he could step onto the field and play safety or nickel right away and nickel is probably where he, he plays next year um, and then he kind of progresses and, and works on refining his technique to be a corner so that's that's the only question because he has the legit speed he has the physicality he has the height at 6'1". He's already 200 pounds. He's ready to go. Um, it's just can he kind of get his technique in, in, in place to be able to stick at, at corner or do we find value in, in putting him on the field early at, at nickel or does he, he play at safety? The other thing I really like about him is he he plays mean. He has, he has pop. Uh, he's not afraid to come up and tackle and to play physically. So um, not only is he does he look the part, uh, as a physical presence, but he plays the part as a, a physical player at the the corner position. He's a physical running back, um, and uh, I think that'll translate well into the field earlier, sooner rather than later. Yeah, he's he probably wins the award for best highlight film from all of the recruits because, like you said, he did play running back, and it's it's you can see that explosiveness on film and really yeah. shifty those those hips. It looks like he. he Maybe he's not a refined product, but he he seems to have the tools, like everything you'd want out of a cornerback. He, he may win that best film for, but it, it's kind of like everyone other than Trevor Lawrence, right? I mean, you know, you can't beat Trevor Lawrence's film. Perfect segue there, because that, and by the way, as you can probably tell by now, there's no rhyme or reason for the, the players that we're discussing uh, or the order, but I just threw them on paper and, and, and you have all the knowledge, so it, it works out. Um, the next player, though, is Trevor Lawrence. Five-star quarterback, number one player in the class, uh, maybe one of the best recruits in recent times. 
Uh, another reason to be excited for, for Clemson football for the next four to five years. Uh, talk about Trevor Lawrence. Absolutely. Um, yeah, to me, Trevor Lawrence, like I can't, I can't heap as much. As a, there is no amount of praise I cannot heap, right? So you're going to have to stop me. I'm going to say <laughs> too much here. Um, I, I, I think it'll be a disappointment if he does not win the Heisman while at Clemson. Like I, he is the best high school player that I have ever seen play the game. Uh, other folks can have Mark Fields. Like that's fine. Like you, you can make them number one ESPN uh, overall. I think Justin Fields. Yeah, I, I think they're crazy. Uh, Justin Fields. Sorry, not Mark Fields. Right. We're just talking corners. Yeah, they can have Justin Fields. That's great. He's a great player. I'm not saying he's not a great player. Whatever. He's not better than Trevor Lawrence, and I don't think he'll have a better career than Trevor Lawrence um, in college or in the pros. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is the best high school player I have ever seen play the game of football um, to this point. And, you know, his, his senior year, he threw one interception in the first game, and that was it. Like, I, I can't remember him fumbling the ball. Um, I can't remember many balls put in jeopardy. Uh, he, he's just an amazing high school player. He has everything you're looking for. He's six foot six. He's an athlete. He's mobile in the pocket. Uh, he's going to change the Clemson offense a little bit. It's not going to be as run heavy. I mean, we, we saw kind of the Kelly Bryant run heavy offense this year uh, with, with Trevor Lawrence uh, when he fully takes over. And I'm, I won't get into the whole Kelly Bryant versus Trevor Lawrence debate uh, here. But when Trevor Lawrence eventually takes over, uh, we'll, we'll adapt to his skill set and be more pass first um, with the, the quarterback position. But he still can run, and he's mobile in the pocket, uh, and he can get you know pick up first downs and things, and he can run the zone read and and, and do those those kinds of things for you, uh, just enough to keep the defense honest. But he's got the cannon of an arm; he can make all the NFL uh, NFL throws. He's a leader. He's low maintenance. He's a, a team first guy. He, his recruitment was you know awesome, amazing. He made his decision, and that was it. Um, it you know, I I, I don't. I, yeah, like I said, I can go on and on. There aren't any flaws in his game that, that I can see. Um, and, and that's incredible for a high school quarterback moving to the, the college level. Yeah, and he has terrific hair. You didn't mention his hair. so I didn't mention his hair. <laughs> yeah, all- I, I think you know, everyone probably knows about Trevor Lawrence at this point. So it's, it's very exciting. The only thing I want to ask about, and maybe this is an offseason question, but where does where does Hunter Johnson fall in this? It's it's crazy to think that the number one quarterback or whatever number two quarterback from the year prior is just suddenly going to get leapfrogged. I mean, Hunter Johnson is extremely talented, but it seems like I guess you have Trevor Lawrence pegged as the next thing. He's just that good. Is that I mean? Is that what it comes down to? Well, I mean, I'd say it's it's a good problem to have. Number one, right? Uh, it's uh, it's always nice to have options and to have talent. Because, uh, you know, people get injured, right? And thing, things can happen uh, in, in that way. And, and Hunter Johnson gives you a little bit of a different skill set, a little different approach, because I think he's a little bit more athletic and, and could be more of a runner than, uh, than Lawrence. Um, he's, you know, Hunter Johnson isn't the kind of Kelly Bryant runner, but, but he's a very good athlete and he, he will be a good runner as a quarterback. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm uh, uh, it, coming into the season, I was all about, I was on the Hunter Johnson hype train, right? But it, it's telling that most college coaches um, felt like Trevor Lawrence was the best 
quarterback prospect in both classes uh, when he was a junior, right? I mean, they would have like, like if you ranked people in and you could have ranked Trevor Lawrence as a junior, you probably would have been number one last year. I mean, that's how good people regard Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. So um, I'm, I love Hunter Johnson and I, I hope Hunter Johnson stays all his career at Clemson. Um, and I will root for him and, and hope him the best, even if it's not at Clemson, because I, I think the world of Hunter Johnson as well. And I think the world of Hunter Johnson committing to Clemson, knowing that Trevor Lawrence was probably coming to Clemson as well and not being afraid of, of that, that battle. Same, same thing with Chase Bryce, right? Who's made waves on the, uh, on the practice squad. Um, but, uh, I think if you're just looking from a pure, like cold hearted talent evaluation, you have to put Trevor Lawrence at, at number one. It's, it's very exciting. Very exciting. That's all I can say. Um, I'm going to move on. So the next player, Josh Belk, defensive tackle, another one of those three-star players dealt with an injury, but still has a ton of upside. Um, looks a little bit like Grady Jarrett. I don't know. Maybe he's a little bit bigger, um, but just a little bit like him on film. Who does he remind you of? And, and talk to me about um, his skill set. Three technique nose tackle. Where's like where's he playing? Yeah, I thought um, I think it was Dabo Sweeney who who made the comparison to Jarvis Jenkins, and I thought, yeah, you know, that's a that's a pretty good uh, comparison there. Uh, Josh Belk is is one of the more polarizing players in in this class. Some have him as a very high four star player, like a top one hundred player. Others, like rivals, had him there as like a five star, and then in one you know recruiting. Uh, update dropped him all the way down to a kind of midi mid three star. Uh, so so Josh Belk is one of the more polarizing players. I will say that his, his the beginning of his senior year he got off to a rough start. He didn't have the kind of year that you would expect from a, a player who dominated his junior year. You know I think a lot of that is just kind of you know you're you're, you're playing your senior year against a competition that isn't that great in the state of South Carolina. You're kind of dominating people. You, get a bit complacent you're dealing with an injury or, or uh you know uh, I, I think he may have had a sprain i'm um i can't confirm that though uh but he, the beginning of his uh senior year was not great a little bit out of shape he got it together though and by the end of his senior year he was that that kind of um top knocking on the top 100 kind of prospect uh so i think that jarvis jenkins is a is a great comparison because he he isn't necessarily a, a three tech um, and he's not your kind of typical nose tackle, but uh, he can play both positions. So he's going to give you versatility on the line. Um, and I, I think his strength, much like uh, Jeffrey's strength, will be being able to penetrate and, and kind of uh, use their quickness and agility uh, to, to cut through the line and get into the backfield and, and be tackles for loss kind of machines when their careers are, are, uh, are over. I, I think Josh Buck will take a little bit of time to develop um in at, at, in the college level um he, I, he may or may not need a a red shirt year i think he's on, he'll be on the bubble there especially because he's enrolling early he might uh be able to kind of acclimate to to the college but he's one of those like raw south carolina talents so it's going to be, be all about how you can kind of train that talent and how much josh belk can um you know acclimate to the the uh weight room and the, the process of college life and, and do all those things to transition. Um, but once he's able to do that and kind of overcome that, that maturation process, 
definitely has the talent to, to be on the field at, at Clemson. Yeah, I'd love to have a side conversation. Maybe we can do that in the offseason about the South Carolina players and their development versus like a Georgia or Florida. But uh, in similar, our, our guy that's, that's uh, experienced the same thing, Xavier Thomas, our next player, the number one defensive end, maybe the best defensive player in the nation, came from, was it Florence in South Carolina, then went to IMG Academy, refined his skills, and he, he looks like he's taken another step. Um, I guess he's like, maybe not the same uh, kind of tools and the same physically as like Javion Clowney or Daquan Bowers, but in that same mold, right, in terms of upside? Oh, yes, absolutely. Definitely in the, the, the conversation with, with those great kinds of players. I, I think it was a really wise move for Thomas to go to IMG Academy. And, th you know, this isn't a knock to, uh, to the state of South Carolina, but he was challenged at IMG in a way that he wasn't at a lower, you know, school, um, lower classification school at, in South Carolina. At IMG, you know, he played against really good tackles, really quality competition on the practice field, really good competition in games all throughout the season. And that brought out the best in him. So his talent was, was undeniable. Um, you know, ESPN had him rated number one overall after a camp setting uh, last year because he was just that amazing in camps and you can just see this, this talent. Um, but he's really gone to IMG and, and he's improved his strength. He's improved his technique. And he is right now a polished product ready to contribute at Clemson. There isn't going to be that, that kind of maturation hurdle that he'll have to go through like like josh belk will have to you know i think go through that but he but uh, thomas at img because he's been exposed to this kind of regiment and also to that level of competition he's going to have a much easier transition uh, thomas is a, a potential you know uh, top five draft pick like he has that amount of talent it can be between him and trevor lawrence is, is my you know wh what i see uh whether somebody needs a defensive end or a quarterback right in the, in the nfl in three years but, but Xavier Thomas has that kind of talent level. He's got the technique, the, this blend of speed and power. Uh, he can blow you by people off of the line. I mean, he's probably going to be a strong side defensive end, but he can line up as a weak side defensive end because he has that kind of speed. He has the burst agility. Um, he can make quick moves in space. He lays people out when he hits them. I mean, there, there aren't a lot of flaws to his game. He, he has a motor now. Like, no one can question his motor. At IMG Academy, he was sideline to sideline, chasing plays down on the backside. He was a monster. Uh, and uh, so, you know, at Clemson, he'll have to acclimate to, uh, you know, that level of tackle play that he's going against. He'll have to add a few, you know, refine his technique and things like that. But he's ready to play. And it seems uh, with Cleveland Farrell, uh, Farrell and as well as Austin Bryant, I mean, both of those players it's no surprise or have had a really good season they could very well be gone next next season um do you see him particularly like assuming those guys were to leave is he is he starting from day one um or too deep he's immediately in the too deep um and and he's rotating and he's challenging for a for a starting slot if those two guys are are gone uh because that'll be i mean you know three out of our starting four guys will be gone on the uh on the defensive line um, something that we've overcome in the past, but you know, that, that'll be a, a big hit to the defensive line, unfortunately, losing that quality of, of, of talent.
but yeah, yeah, I mean, you've got Jurgen coming back from an injury, right? We don't exactly know what's going to happen with him. Um, I think Logan Rudolph is another star in the making there uh, at defensive end. He got a redshirt year this year. He would have been a force on the two deep this year. So he's definitely uh, in the two deep. And then, you know, I think Xavier Thomas could pass a guy like Chris Register on the, the depth chart. And, uh, and who else am I missing there on the defensive end? Xavier Kelly, which I have, high, I still have high hopes for him, but it, yeah, it yeah. Is, I don't know. Kelly is a, is in his third right now on the depth chart for uh, he, he he'll have a big off season and we'll see what what, what he has the you know the talent but uh, the technique is still coming along right and uh, so uh, yeah so if Xavier Thomas can process the scheme and, and get everything down then he uh, I think challenges for that starting spot if those two go away. Yeah, it's it's tough to find like ready-made elite defensive ends uh, right out of high school, but if there's one that could be, I hope that's Xavier Thomas. Um, g- moving on to the next player, Darion Kendrick. I had a friend that uh, was a former high school and college football player that went to see Kendrick play in person and said he's the most most athletic player he's ever seen um, on the high school level. So you have him. I think he's a high four star right now. Potentially a fifth star could could uh, could be coming. Um, what do you make of him in terms of uh, who he compares to? I, I, I know he played quarterback in high school. Um, to me, he's like a little bit a bigger version of Ritter McLeod. But uh, talk about Darion Kendrick. Absolutely. Kendrick DK uh, is a – sorry, my phone went off there. Go. Uh, DK is somebody who I have said from – uh, the very beginning should be a top 50 player and I felt like was a five-star talent. And this is a credit to Jeff Scott and his ability to evaluate um, talent, wide receiver talent. Because he had Jordan Adams and he had Hendrick as the two guys. And they were, at, at the time, I think that they were four stars, but they were barely in the top 250. Or maybe they were like, you know, in 150 range and they, you know, everybody's like, oh, we should get, you know, Hightower down there at, IMG and even I was saying, um, you know, a few other guys that were potentials that I thought were were pretty good players. I mean, you know, Jordan Ross, of course, uh, is is somebody who not Jordan Ross, uh, Justin Ross, is somebody who we're we're still targeting. Uh, is somebody who I liked and Eagles as well, uh, out in the, in Texas who committed to Texas. But um, Kendrick, Jeff Scott, you know, got on him early, made those connections. What an amazing recruiting job uh, by uh, by Jeff Scott. And Kendrick plays wider, uh, plays quarterback at South Point, and I think we're all kind of familiar with um, right now with with some of the the accolades. Right, he he uh, has won a state championship for the past uh, the past four years. I think at South Point they've won it, uh, and he's been instrumental in that. So. Kendrick plays quarterback. He's played some wide receiver and he played even, I think safety, uh, for South point. So he has the athleticism. He's going to play the two position while at Clemson. Um, and a lot of people think he's the next Sammy Watkins. Like he's that good on the field. Um, his, his, uh, best attribute I think is his burst, his quickness, his change of direction. Um, but Jeff Scott has said like, he looks like a wide receiver. Uh, he's been playing wide receiver his whole life. He, is very fluid on the field. He's going to be able to um, learn route running really quickly. 
Um, and that's why, you know, when people have seen him in games and in camps and things, it's like, what, who is this guy? And, uh, and the national recruiting folks, I, I, I think once he goes to this army game and he gets more exposure from the, all of the national people, he's going to be a five-star recruit when it's all said and done. I mean, he has, has that level of talent. Um, yep. and he, sorry, sorry, just one last thing at the shrine bowl, you could see, um, you know, they're trying to get him the ball in any which way they could. Uh, so the two position is really suited to his skill set because he'll be able to get the ball in his hands more than, you know, other wide receiver positions. Right. And so jets, jet sweeps, um, uh, you know, all those kinds of things when he, he's able to get the ball on bubble screens and things, he's just going to be a dynamic player. Yeah. I was going to ask you, um, just guys like Deion Kane who played quarterback in high school and you, you see, he's had like, still it, look, it seems having having issues in terms of just wide receiver skills so you don't you don't foresee that uh that issue with kendrick um because he's previously played wide receiver well i mean i i think people will give kane a bit of a bad bad rap here um just because he's you know he's dropped some balls and and uh in his senior year or in his junior year and maybe you know he it, it was more about focus it, it, it never was that he wasn't able to be a wide receiver, right? I mean, he's always um, been able to get open. He's always, I think, he's run pretty good routes. Like route running has never been, I think, his his problem. It's more focus, concentration, things that um, necessarily don't have to do with that quarterback to wide receiver transition. So, um, so I, yeah, I don't think that Kendrick is going to have the the same kind of like, uh, I guess, supposed problems that. that Kane has had. I mean, Ray Ray transitioned from running back to wide receiver, and it's the same kind of thing. I think more just like um, focus and things like that, uh, and and you know consistency in playing the the wide receiver position. Uh, so I, you know, I don't see those kinds of traits uh, impacting Kendrick either. Okay, yeah, and, and for the record, I have been on the I've been all aboard uh, the Deion Kane train this season, so. Despite despite some of the, the negative things you hear, I think he's been great. Yeah, I mean, like last year, people forget that he was leading Mike Williams in touchdown receptions for much of the season, right? It's only at the end when, when Mike Williams started getting, you know, a significant amount of the targets that his numbers dropped off a little bit. Uh, but Kane was, we, we aren't in the championship game without Kane last year, and we aren't in the championship game this year without Kane. His numbers are down this year because we run the ball in the end zone, you know? And we don't throw the ball as much like that. That's why more, the, more so than, uh, than Kane necessarily. So anyway, I, I digress. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no problem. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe an off season discussion. Hopefully he sticks around, um, for a senior season, but one yeah, last thing. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, one last player and that's a guy you wanted to pencil in. I didn't have him originally on the list, but it, he's that important. Um, we're giving a scholarship to a kicker, BT Potter. Um, it, it's fun to watch his highlight film. He, he's really he's got a lot of leg. Um, I don't know what else to say about uh, a kicker, but I'll let you <laughs> let you fill us in on that. Well, I'm I'm not a big fan of giving special teams players a a scholarship because um, you know usually this is what, what the role of preferred walk-ons are this is what the role of tryouts are right and, and if you're at a place that's as good as Clemson you got a ton of people that are trying to, to make the team and you can you can pull kickers and special teams players from from those areas so if you're gonna use a special teams scholarship 
It should be to somebody who does multiple things really well. So uh, Potter, I think, will start next year as our kickoff guy. And I think for the next four years, we will not have to worry about kickoff coverage if we don't want to because he, he has that kind of leg and he can just put it into the back of the end zone, outside of the end zone. And um, uh, he doesn't kick off of the, the T thing or whatever, the high school thing. He's, he's gotten rid of that for years now. Uh, so that isn't going to be a problem, his transition from high school to, to college. Um, he will challenge, I think, Hugo, depending upon you know where Hugo's at when he gets back, and uh, and also Spence for kick, kicking duties next year as the field goal kicker, and he's developing as a punter. So you know, I think uh, Spears Spears will uh, will keep that uh, kickoff or a punting position, but but Potter can give you depth there as a as a backup punter as well. So he provides a ton of value. He's a great Twitter follow as well. Uh, he's been all in, and uh, and uh, I think he's just you know going to be a, a, a big part of our special teams moving forward, which is a big part of winning football games. Things that you know may not show up on the scoreboard, but well, they they do when you're kicking field goals and extra points. But making sure that your kickoff coverage you know goes through the back of the end zone can be really important. So I'm really excited about Potter. He, he gives you a very quality kicker for four years you know and, uh, and we don't have to worry about it right it's like it's done we've got it for four years as long as he doesn't get injured yeah we, we've seen the importance of special teams uh, we saw it in 2015 i i i, I love it i love having a, a a kicker that can kick it through the end zone that's um that's a huge advantage throughout the course of the season um, one more thing too about yeah. potter he's got he's got that moxie he's got that confidence that you always want with a kicker he, uh, he's not, you know, I don't think he's over the top arrogant, but you can tell he knows he's, he's a good kicker. He has that inner confidence. And, um, that's a really important thing for a kicker, especially if they struggle during parts of their career, um, to be able to just, you know, have a, this like windshield mentality. And, uh, and it's an underrated part of, of being a kicker. I think that has to be built into that equation. Very confident guy. Absolutely. Um, so that wraps up all the players we're going to talk about today, but, and we're, we're running out of time here. Um, I, I just want to ask you, high level, this class, at least on paper, is it the, the best Clemson class, recruiting class ever? So I think it has a chance to finish there. Um, if we add, like, let's say three quality players, four or five-star quality players, it, uh, it'll, it'll challenge for the best, I think. In terms of like per star average, but also in terms of just like quality impact that'll have on the field. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is definitely elite level recruiting. This is championship level recruiting. Uh, if we can get a, a really good corner, a, a certain perhaps, right. You know, uh, or a Campbell or a Matthew Hill, I think is who we're going to target for that safety position. Um, then I think, and, and hopefully another offensive lineman and watch out for a linebacker. We could target and get another linebacker in this class. Um, if we can do that, if we can find room for all those guys, then yes, I think it would be the, the top offensive, uh, the top class in, in Clemson history. That's, you know, that's a special designation. Interesting. Yeah. I, I would love, yeah, I would love to get on the list of uh, kind of like top Clemson's most wanted, but uh, we, fortunately we don't have time. Let me, let me finish it off with one question that's not related uh, to recruiting, and that's playing Alabama uh, New Year's Day. 
what do you give me your um, your thoughts from the matchup and uh, how how Clemson stacks up? What's it, what's it going to be in round three? Um, so last year, um, I, you know, I'm on record. I think I went on like SB Nation Radio saying that Clemson was going to destroy Ohio State, and that was because the Clemson like coaching staff and and the folks on the team just felt really confident that they were the better team. Um, and I think not to the level of Ohio state, uh, that, that level of confidence, but I think there's a quiet confidence, uh, that Clemson feels the players and the coaching staff after doing their kind of review of Alabama and looking at the team and an in-depth dive. Uh, there's a, there's a kind of confidence that, that they can beat Alabama. Um, and, uh, and that is powerful. Like pay attention to that when when Dabo Sweeney and company feel confident, uh, that is uh, that is something to, to look out for. Vegas has you know uh, Alabama winning and a Alabama Georgia matchup, right? And Alabama favored to maybe win it all. Um, I see Alabama taking a, a step back on the defensive line and questions at linebacker. They still are really good in the secondary, but if Clemson can run the ball on Alabama, then um, you know that's a really strong uh, indicator advantage. Uh, Clemson. Uh, should be able to win the game if they can run the ball. I, you know, I don't think that they'll be able just to, to run it down the throats of Alabama, but if they can run the ball, um, that loosens things up for the wide receivers. And if Kelly Bryant is playing the way he was against Alabama, against a really good, uh, playing the same way he was against Miami, against a really good Miami secondary throwing the ball, then that, I mean, you know, that's a really good sign as well. Uh, so I, I think Kelly Bryant and, and Streeter, if Streeter has enough time to, to work through his mechanics and, and kind of um, help him be sharp, then then that that bodes well for for Clemson as well. That's what happened in the Miami game. That's what happened at the beginning of the season at Auburn. And then I think some of his mechanics kind of fell apart towards the middle of the season, and they they were able to kind of reestablish some of that um, towards the end of the season. Uh, on the flip side, I do not think that Alabama's offensive line is that good. Uh, I think that our defensive line, although we've had trouble at times containing the run for um, really re good uh, running teams. Um, I think we will be able to stop the Alabama running attack. Uh, that means that the Alabama play action pass, which is what this kind of offense is built around, will not be as lethal. Uh, and if our safeties and, and corners can stay disciplined, especially our safeties, stay disciplined against the play action pass. And if we can contain uh, Jalen Hurts uh, from being a running threat, then we can do the same thing that Auburn did to Alabama and really kind of shut down the offense to the, for the most part. Um, Brent Venables for two years has shut down Calvin Ridley. I don't see any reason why we couldn't do this, do that same thing uh, this next year. And there's a huge drop off in uh, receptions after Ridley. Like it's like Ridley and nobody uh, for this team this year. So if you can stop Ridley in the passing game, then Jalen Hurts really doesn't have that many options to throw to. Finally, O.J. Howard isn't there to come to life in the last game and destroy us. So, I, you know, you have to feel good about all of those matchups um, looking towards, you know, uh, that matchup uh, on the offense and the defense. Uh, the one thing I will say is that Nick Saban has had a lot of time to game plan, and he has an army of support staff that are going through every single flaw of Clemson's, and they will expose every single flaw. So you have to be ready for that. You know, that that uh, that onside kick, for example, like that was something that Alabama's, you know, massive support staff was able to pick out and and use against Clemson. Hopefully, though, there aren't any of those kinds of things that uh, that they can use against us this year. But 
Nick Saban is dangerous when he's given a lot of time to, to plan and game plan. Um, I, I think it'll be an interesting choice whether they choose to run tempo or not on offense against the Clemson defense. That is what Clemson has been susceptible to this season. We've played much better against teams that have gone slowly and huddled. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how that, that all those dynamics play out. But right now, I think uh, that Clemson fans can expect to win. Nice. And another part of that, uh, the defensive line, like Dexter Lawrence has been yeah, he's healthy. 70%, 80%. Yeah, and you saw a little bit of it uh, in the Miami game. And it just, he's got another gear. And I think people, I, I think the nation has forgot about like how good he is. Right. Um, so, and, and obviously everyone knows how good Christian Wilkins is. So I and, hope, uh, uh, well, yeah. Last year, uh, Cleveland Farrell got injured too in this game, right? If I'm, if I'm yeah. remembering right. And so he didn't play the entire game. Um, and he wasn't healthy in, uh, in the game. So, you know, it's interesting too, to see Alabama's offense this year, because Bo Scarborough isn't as big a part of it. Um, we'll see if they use him more to try and, you know, use a kind of battering ram against our, our offense. But it's been, it's been Harris that is, uh, uh, that is, you know, run the ball the most and is like their star running back. So interesting, interesting changes to the Alabama offense as well. Yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting. But, yeah, I, I agree. Um, looking at them, I watched them play Auburn, uh, watched the replay, and it doesn't seem like the talent level, it's still, it's still really high, but it's not quite what it was the last two years. So, yeah, it's looking forward to it. And uh, with that, I, we should probably wrap up. I know uh, you have to get going. And Quack and Tiger, thank you for joining us. This is three years in a row. Hopefully, like I said, we can have you back on in February. Uh, let me let me plug you because I, I know you, I've heard you're a really good Twitter follow. Uh, <laughs> at Quacking Tiger, pretty pretty simple. At Quacking Tiger, and then also follow your your work on ShakingTheSouthland.com. Uh, you're incredible. Uh, everyone, we're lucky to have you at Shaking the Southland. You do a great job, and and thanks for for coming on here as well. No, 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 stop, stop with all that. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having the podcast. Yeah, no, it's it's great, and again, we'll we'll have you on uh, in February, hopefully to celebrate a national championship. That sounds wonderful. Now, I'm so I'm so happy for our family. It's not it's not this is not for just us. This is for the Taj Boyds, the Stephon Anthony's, the Grady Jarrett's, the New Hopkins, Sammy Watkins. Y'all built this. Y'all started this foundation. And all we did is build upon it. And we finished it. It's been 35 long years. Clemson, y'all been waiting 35 years. It's finally coming home, baby. It's coming home. Let me let me plug you because I know you're. I've heard you're a really good Twitter follower. <laughs> at Quacking Tiger, pretty pretty simple. At Quacking Tiger, and then also follow your your work on ShakingTheSouthland.com. Uh, you're incredible. Uh, everyone, we're lucky to have you at Shaking the Southland. You do a great job, and, and thanks for for coming on here as well. No, 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 stop, stop with all that. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having the podcast. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And again, we'll we'll have you on uh, in February, hopefully to celebrate a national championship. That sounds wonderful. Let's get it on.